from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. everybody to another episode of the junkyard Dogcast. i'm your host jordan hill we got the whole crew with us for the first time all three of us are on a podcast together benjamin wolk and kip adams getting ready for what looks like it's going to be another busy week um plenty of news plenty of things to get to and uh, what is a busy time of year both when it comes to schedule and looking to the future and also recruiting uh, as we know georgia has stayed very busy uh, ben, you've got a full week under your belt now. Uh, how are things treating you as you uh, pretty much jump into the deep end when it comes to covering recruiting? Yeah, no, Georgia took it easy on me the first week. They didn't have anything exciting going on in the recruiting space, so it was a nice, easy, slow way to break it back into the game. Um, now I'm sure we'll talk about that all a lot more here over the next you know, 20, 30 minutes or so, but it was a great first week. I appreciate uh, everyone on the junkyard being so thoughtful with their compliments throughout the week and we hope to keep bringing you good coverage no doubt about it kip how is this week treating you as we go uh you know as hard as it is to believe we're about a month away from sec media days yeah i'm still catching up and trying to read through all of ben's work it's uh he kind of overloaded us and and set the bar ridiculously high for some of us maybe more so some than others but uh it's just a content overload right now trying to just catch my breath and read it all uh, myself and, and and try to, uh, you know, just get a grasp on everything that's going on because I, th- I feel like we're just getting fastballs, heaters left and right right now. And, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great time to be covering Georgia. And so I, I just, you know, the, with the crew we got here, uh, I, I feel like we're very well prepared, as prepared as you can be in this industry to to kind of break it all down. And so I'm enjoying the ride right now. It, it's been a fun time. I've I've been through some of the lows, and and we're definitely kind of in the highs right now. No doubt about it. And it will be. Uh, I'm sure it's going to remain that way in the weeks and months to come as we get ready for the 2023 season. Now let's start with um, you know really a lot to talk about on this episode, but let's start with. What will be the news of today, which we are recording this on Wednesday, and we'll have a little bit more knowledge about this Wednesday night. Georgia's schedule for the 2024 season, uh, the opponents they will draw out of the SEC. Uh, on Wednesday night, the SEC will announce uh, every team's opponents for the 2024 SEC schedule, uh, which will be the first year that Texas and Oklahoma are in the conference. We won't know the dates yet. They are going to announce that at a later date. As we were getting ready to do this, starting to see some reports of who Georgia could be playing. Uh, To this point, I've seen a couple. uh, Horns 247 Ship Brown reported Georgia will play at Texas. Um, That will obviously be a very fascinating matchup and could see Arch Manning going against the Bulldogs. And then Bama Online has reported that Georgia will play at Alabama. Um, A return to Tuscaloosa 
um, kind of caught me off guard. I, I sort of thought that game could be on the schedule, but it could be in Sanford Stadium. Uh, Kip, let's just talk about what we know to this point. Uh, what do you think about how this schedule is shaping up? What are you looking for and what we're going to find out later tonight? You know, we knew that Georgia would probably be going to play a, a team in the, in, you know, in the West, out West, that they hadn't played before. It's a little humorous that it looks like Georgia will be playing at Texas before ever playing Texas A&M. Uh, I think that's, I mean, it's just hilarious. But obviously a, a new opponent, uh, you know, exciting for Georgia fans. The Alabama news kind of caught me off guard as well. I mean, everybody, usually you look at schedules, you look at the fact that, uh, you know, Georgia last hosted Alabama in, in 2015, went to Tuscaloosa in 2020. So you're thinking, okay, you're going to host Alabama again at some point in the next couple of years. But playing at Alabama again, probably a little bit of curveball for Georgia fans if that's how it goes down. But, you know, at the same time, um, that 2020 game didn't go about very well. And at the same time, Georgia fans weren't really able to, to go. They weren't able to attend. So if you're going to look at it on the bright side, uh, this roster and the way things are going right now, there's never a better time for Georgia to get kind of a makeup game and, you know, maybe revenge in Tuscaloosa. Who knows? Obviously, it's going to be a, a big time matchup and a matchup that Georgia fans will now. I mean, some fans will have the chance to get tickets to and, and go watch. And so it looks like it'll be a more competitive matchup, should be. And this is what Georgia fans want. And you look at that, you look at those two opponents, and you take, you add Clemson in there. Um, you can't complain about, you know, having big-time games if you're a Georgia fan this season. I just think most Georgia fans would probably want one of their top four games, if we're adding in Florida, uh, to be in Athens. The fact that their four best games won't be in Athens uh, that's that that's kind of unfortunate for Georgia fans who are coming off right now back-to-back national titles and would, would expect the conference to, you know, give them something. And, and so overall, probably a little disappointing just as far as home and away, the way it looks, but that schedule, I mean, that, as far as big-time matchups, uh, that makes up for the last two years uh, in, in one schedule. No doubt. Ben, uh, what do you make of what we've learned so far getting ready for the actual release of the news uh, Wednesday night? Yeah, I mean, I think Kip nailed the two things that I was going to call out there, too. I mean, going to Austin before you go to College Station is just ridiculous. The fact that that's going to happen is shocking to me. Um, To Kip's point, you know, the 2020 season, everyone didn't get the chance to go to Tuscaloosa necessarily. I think Craig Lawson in the comments said that uh, the COVID season didn't count, which I subscribe to as well. Uh, But Obviously, going to Tuscaloosa twice in four years is a little bit odd. And the fact that you look at the 2023 home schedule, it's not a great slate of home games. I actually had a couple of season ticket holders that called me in the last hour or so when these things started to leak out. They were like, is Georgia going to get good home games here at any point in the next two years? And it doesn't look that promising considering with Texas, Alabama, Clemson already on the schedule. You'd think that, you know. Georgia will probably catch some easier opponents, so to speak, on the other side of things. So the home schedule might not be what people want until 2025, I guess, fingers crossed. I'm really fascinated to see what winds up happening. You know, we'll learn more. Um, But, you know, I I thought for sure Alabama would be in Athens. Uh, I think the last time they played in Athens was 2015. Uh, If anyone was at that game, uh, they're probably not going to claim it very ugly game in the rain that Alabama just walked all over Georgia. Um, my biggest things tonight with what we're going to see 
is what how well the SEC sticks to competitive balance, because that's something Greg Sankey talked a good bit about during spring meetings, wanting to keep things balanced. Um, and, and two, I kind of did this, and if you're listening to this, you can go check out, I wrote a story sort of projecting what I think the schedule is going to look like for Georgia. Uh, how much do you see like an East team playing some of the teams from the West? I feel like, I, you know, in my mind, the SEC would try to make a concerted effort to say, okay, we're getting rid of divisions and then try to avoid, and then all of a sudden, you know, Georgia's playing six teams that used to be in the East or something like that. I feel like they're going to try to do a very good job of balancing that, trying to get some West opponents. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating, and I'm sure – Everybody who sees their schedule is going to say, great, we love this and we're ready to go for 2024. I'm with you, though. Like, I'm curious to know, like, how much East-West overlap there's going to end up being. Like, we're so accustomed to seeing here's the six East teams that Georgia's going to end up having on its schedule. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't think anybody has shared really what they expect that to look like in terms of that East-West crossover now that there will be no divisions. Um So I think that's probably, I was just talking through this as well. Like, what do I think the eight games will be? And it's like, you default to the South Carolina, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, because that's what you're so accustomed to. But who's to say that there aren't more premier teams from the West that might end up on Georgia's schedule too, if you're looking for that potential home game that sticks out to you. No doubt about it. And we will be all over it tonight. And uh, I'll do my best once everything's wrapped up to uh, put out an audio podcast, just sort of recapping what Georgia's schedule is and uh, probably how Kirby Smart and company feel about it. Uh, ben hinted at this earlier that uh, not a whole lot to have written about since he got started. Uh, you know, just three commits uh, in the last uh, week and some change. Uh, three commits added for Georgia. Four-star defensive end Justin Green, four-star running back Chauncey Bowens, four-star defensive tackle Jordan Thomas. Uh, and both of those defensive line commits, as Ben pointed out, uh, came on Tuesday uh, uh, on Tuesdays, uh, two weeks ago, it was, uh, uh, Justin Green and then Jordan Thomas on Tuesday this week. Um, very busy, uh, slate for Georgia adding to what has the potential, uh, to be, uh, the, not only the number one class in the country, uh, but potentially the most talented, highest rated signing class that, uh, has happened, uh, trying to pass that 2022 Texas A&M class. Um, ben, I'm going to start with you when you just look at these guys that you've been on staff for since they committed. Um, what do you think about the haul that Georgia has gotten adding these guys and uh, the potential they bring to Athens? I, I won't take everything that I think about, um, you know, all three of them, Kip. I'll leave some I'll leave some fresh stuff for you, too. But, you know, my big takeaway is three commitments in, I guess, a week, essentially, from last Tuesday to this Tuesday doesn't happen very often. I guess it probably happens in Athens more than it happens in most places, just the way that they uh, recruit and line some of these things up. But Justin Green, obviously, is a five tech on the defensive line last week. I think that that really got the defensive line class going. I think we're going to see a lot more of that here in June and July, especially, um, you know, added Jordan Thomas out of New Jersey, got a chance to talk with his high school coach who really just raved about the growth and progression of Jordan Thomas. He went from 195 pound basketball player, edge rusher when he got to high school. And now he's pushing 300 pounds. I think some of y'all might've seen the video of him jumping over the hurdles as he was doing a drill. I think he was carrying 315 at the time. You actually see him next to a Virginia tech commit in that video as well. And I think you can sort of see a stark difference between a Georgia athlete and what some other athletes look like as well. Um, So I think that that defensive line, 
you know, buzz is really going to continue here since, you know, when I came on board, there were no D-line commitments at the time. Uh, Fran Brown also deserves a major credit for the Jordan Thomas recruitment. He crushes in New, New Jersey. Um, and then Chauncey Bowens, the, the flip from Florida. I know everybody will get excited about flipping from a big rival, but this is going to be a what looks like probably a three running back class for Georgia. And so getting, you know, their second guy on board, much different in terms of how he'll be utilized to a guy like Dwight Phillips that's already in the class, you know, just different type of game that they have. But obviously three big commitments, and I don't think Georgia's slowing down throughout the rest of the month or next. Kip, what are your thoughts on this trio of commits and uh, just what they're bringing to the table? I think we might as well go ahead and load up a defensive line commit story for next Tuesday. Back-to-back Tuesdays, grabbing a four-star defensive lineman. We talked about the defensive line as being one of, if not, you know, the most important position group in this cycle, and uh, other than quarterback, which obviously Georgia has already done very well at this cycle so far. But, you know, getting a guy like, again, uh, Justin Green, a guy who's really reshaped his body in an inter- interesting way over the last couple of years, you know, a guy that was put like 215 pounds two, two years ago and, and then, you know, getting up to 245 and now pushing 260. That five technique position is the one where we, we talked about. They didn't get anybody there last year, in the last cycle. They need to get multiple guys at that position this year and they get a guy that, you know, his arrow has been pointing up uh, for several months, was a standout at the Under Armour Atlanta camp earlier this year. And that's kind of where his, you know, in the industry, his his ranking started to, to skyrocket. And we think probably will continue to do that because his best football is in front of him. Getting him is huge. And obviously Jordan Thomas. And, when, you know, Ben and I were trying to figure out, you know, what's Georgia going to do at D-tackle? You know, uh, we talked about a lot of five techniques and obviously they're going to get multiple guys there, but they still need to get some interior defensive linemen as well. Guys who could play defensive tackle maybe fill in a you know, nose tackle position if they're trying to give that look as well. And Jordan Thomas is a guy that's uh, over 300 pounds now and a top 100 prospect in the country. Kind of tells you how well Georgia's recruiting right now when we were saying, you know, we haven't really talked about Jordan Thomas a lot. A guy that plays at Don Bosco Prep, one of the top programs in the, in the Northeast. And he comes down and visits and all of a sudden, you know, Georgia kind of knocks out Michigan and South Carolina Rutgers and and maybe uh, led for him longer than we thought. So he kind of flew under the radar a little bit for us, but Georgia's able to land a top 100 defensive lineman that, again, adds to that class that we think will end up being four or five guys when all is said and done. And then you're flipping a guy like Chauncey Bowens from Florida. The, you know, this is someone that Del McGee really keyed in on, you know, December, January, you know, offering him and, and Kirby Smart going down, flying down the, the helicopter to his high school. That's when you kind of knew okay, this guy might be pretty high up on the board. Uh, and we, we look back at these classes that Del McGee's been able to bring in, you know, bringing in two running backs. He's done it a couple of times and, and had, you know, pretty good success there as far as uh, Elijah Holyfield, Brian Harriam was a, a solid duo, but obviously the Zamir White, James Cook duo w- was really solid. And, and then getting Kendall Milton, uh, Dejon Edwards, uh, Branson Robinson, uh, Andrew Paul, Getting three guys, uh, you know, that that's something that we haven't seen under this coaching staff. But, you know, a guy like Dwight Phillips, who's just electric with the football, he had a guy uh, like Bowens, who I think, you know, is, is more of that SEC old school workhorse back, a guy that can get 20, 25 carries a game and, and probably, you know, 
wear down defenses towards the end of the game. I think he's got that kind of strength, that lower body strength to really punish defenders in the third and fourth quarter. It's a solid uh, duo right now. If they're able to add Nate Frazier, uh, this is an unprecedented group for him. But all, I really like where Georgia stands with him, getting him on campus with Chauncey Bowens on an unofficial visit, knowing you have that official visit that you could have later on. I really like where Georgia stands there. I think this running back trio that Del McGee has kind of honed in on is an exceptional group. And and he was a guy that everyone's kind of looking, uh, you know, when is Del McGee going to land that, you know, that elite backfield. And I think being able to get three outstanding guys in one cycle, another, you know, another uh, assistant that you you remove him from that, I guess, Kirby smart recruiting hot seat list uh, that Georgia fans put up every year because, you know, they want to stack talent at every position. And this cycle, Del McGee is going to do just that. Yeah. So a lot of uh, fans really jumped on that photo. I believe it was Frazier and Bowens and uh, Dell with the two championship trophies. That could be one uh, that people don't soon forget. Uh, And yeah, you think too, with what Georgia could lose at the running back position after the 2022 season, having that trio could prove to be very, very important. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, come back, talk a little bit more recruiting and then talk about two Georgia commits at the Elite 11. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? (laughs) Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back, everybody. Well, like we mentioned at the start of this podcast, we're almost in the middle of June, as hard as that is to believe. But it's been a busy few weeks for Georgia when it comes to visits and ultimately, as we've seen with additional commitments to this class. Kip, what do you think of the job Georgia has done to this point when it comes to these visits, when it comes to maximizing having these guys on campus and what could be in store for the rest of this month? It's fascinating because uh, July 1st, recruits are, I guess the plan is that they're going to be able to have unlimited official visits. There's been no announcement that schools are able to have more official visits, but I think it's clear that that's what Georgia expects because, I mean, we've discussed how important June's become. It's become the kind of December in the recruiting cycle. But Georgia's set to have, you know, we may have some cancellations next two weeks, but as of now, Georgia's set to use 58 official visits before the end of June. And they're not even allowed to have that many under the old rules. So immediately I'm thinking something's got to change and something probably has changed as far as their interpretation. That's a ton of official visitors. And it's it's become pretty important to, to get them in those first couple of weeks in June. And I think the last two weeks have kind of become, you know, some Hail Marys, uh, some guys that, you know, maybe that, you know, they didn't think that, that they're first or second, but they'd still rather get a visit and try to make a move. 
Um, but I, I think Georgia is going to add to this class with guys that are visiting, you know, the last weekend in, in June, if not both weekends. And it's a recruiting class that's already number one in the country and pushing for 300 points. Uh, there were days when Georgia fans would kind of get a little uneasy and wonder where's the momentum and, you know, or, you know, when is Georgia, when is Kirby Smart going to return from the beach and, and start doing some recruiting again? And I mean, they're, they're at 19 commits right now, uh, already an outstanding class. You know, the 300-point marker on 24-7 sports team rankings has always been kind of the barometer. You get past that, you got an elite class. Uh, Georgia might pass that, you know, before our next podcast. So I just think uh, that tells you that things are going pretty well in Athens. They're doing a pretty good job of these official visits, and it looks like they got a pretty extensive recruiting board right now because they are getting a lot of guys on campus double digits every week. And I think, we're, you know, we're going to have, as of now, another 22 official visitors over the next two weeks. So I think, you know, Georgia's recruiting is humming along, and I don't see this train slowing down anytime soon. Ben, what are your thoughts on how things have played out to this point and then what we could see in these next few weeks? Yeah, I mean, 19 commitments by June 14th is pretty – self-explanatory i mean the classes you could be happy with this class if it was left as it is obviously it's not going to be left as it is but you my big question is really how many spots does georgia feel like it can end up taking in this class just because you look at the number of guys that georgia is in very good position for right now that might even be making summer decisions and that number is pushing 25 really quickly so it makes me wonder where do they feel like they can get where are the scholarships available and then when you play that numbers game, what position groups are going to be prioritized or what position group might be able to take an additional guy that they weren't ex initially expecting in the class? You know, I'm really fascinated by the linebacker position right now. Obviously, there's one commitment at linebacker in this class. It's probably the one that people have the most questions on whether it will stick in this class. But then you look at, you know, over the next couple of weeks, I mean, we've mentioned Joseph Phillips, Phillips a lot at dogs 24-7. Justin Williams and Chris Cole will both be coming on official visits these next two weekends. Said it before, but they are both like bona fide mid 10, 100 meter dash track time guys, which you know how much Kirby staffs, Kirby smart staff loves those type of guys at linebacker. So I'm interested to see how everything shakes out at linebacker with spots and availability over the course of the summer, just because there's only one guy right now, but it feels like there's a whole host of guys that would kind of like to be in the class as well. And so I'm just interested to see how all of that plays out. But you could really have that conversation at every position group. I mean, Kip's mentioned the defensive line. I'm fascinated by offensive line and wide receiver until in terms of how all of that plays out with scholarship spots. So we really are in the numbers crunch part of the year where they have to start prioritizing the board and figuring out who can get in and what spots. One position we do not have questions about is quarterback for Georgia. They've got the two commits in Dylan Riola and Ryan Puglisi, and they're going to be uh, among the best quarterbacks in the country starting on Wednesday out in Los Angeles for the Elite 11 Finals. I wanted to set you up for this, Ben, because you did a really good story talking to Elite 11 director Brian Stumpf about both quarterbacks. What did you take away from your conversation about what he sees in both these quarterbacks and, and what they could put on display uh, out in L.A.? For sure, yeah. I wanted a chance to talk to him just because I know he was someone that got eyes on them, especially in Ryan's case, sooner than a lot of people did. 
he saw Dylan Raiola going back to a 2021 Academy that they did. And so he, he said to me, I, I could tell then that he physically was built a little bit different. I mean, he's got a, a strong base. He's a little bit sturdier than a lot of quarterbacks are. And he recognized that from a young age, but what really impressed him, I think with Dylan was one, the NFL pedigree that he comes from. He knows that he's going to care about football. He's going to work. He knows that that sport means a lot to that family and that's going to dictate the way that he works. But I think what he also noticed, and he, I put this in the article, is Dylan was anointed the number one guy you know, pretty early on, about a year and a half ago. And it's not something that Dylan asked for. He didn't ask to be the best, ranked the best player in the country. And so a lot of guys, you worry about how they might handle that. And he hasn't seen a change in Dylan over the course of that time from 2021 to now. So I think that he sees him as a leader. I think we've seen that just in how he's recruiting in this 2024 recruiting class. I mean, every I went, you know, every single school that I've been out to over the last week and a half talking to guys that are associated with Georgia have mentioned Dylan's name, not just as someone that they are aware is in the class, but someone that has deliberately reached out to them to make sure that they realize that they're someone that's wanted in Athens. Um, so that's just a common theme that you see. And then on the on Ryan's side, I know that he was someone that a lot of Georgia fans, you know, even myself, were not aware of pretty early on through the evaluation process. He was someone that came onto the scene a little bit more recently, obviously, than in Riola's case. Um, with Brian Stump, what he called out was they also run a national showcase in baseball. And he said, you know, I focus about 99% of my time on football, so I don't pay a ton about the rosters and the things that are going to be coming here. But when he went to that area code games event. Ryan Puglisi was there as a middle infielder for the Northeast team. That was, you know, the Yankees team that was there from the Northeast. And he was just like, wow, I didn't realize that we had a guy that was that dominant in both sports. And so that's really what caught his eye. He said that when you look at Ryan play one, the arm strength, he thinks that he might have the strongest arm of anybody that's going to be out in LA this week, but just the off platform throws, just sort of the loose athleticism that he has to make plays you can kind of see with a middle infielder in baseball, just the way that he kind of moves and is comfortable, you know, with doing things athletically outside of football. That's something that I think the elite 11 guys really value. They really, and I think you've heard Kirby smart mention this as well. Multi-sport athletes have been devalued over the course of time. And I think there's a lot of coaches really ingrained in it that still value it very, very highly. And I think it with both of these guys, Dylan and Ryan, you're getting guys that are very good athletes in both sports. And you see a lot of their, baseball pedigree bleed through in terms of how they play the quarterback position we'll hear a lot over the next few days about how they perform and uh, you know sort of what they make of their time at the elite 11 finals kip when you look at both guys being there what do you want to hear from how they performed what what are the things you are looking for for what you would consider to be have uh, to have been for both of them a successful time at the elite 11 finals I don't think there's going to be any issues with arm strength for either one of these quarterbacks out there. I'm actually fascinated by the fact how similar these guys are in terms of their talent and what they bring to the table because they both drive the ball with a lot of velocity and they can all both make throws all the, all three levels of the field. They both are very confident in their arm. Um, I, I, I think with, uh, with Dylan Raiola, his issues kind of come with, with his feet, we talk about off-platform throws with both of these guys. With Dylan, you know, sometimes he, he'll go to that when he doesn't need to, uh, and he won't, you know, plant his back foot, and he gets, you know, there's some issues there uh, with, with that. And so I want to see some, you know, just some improvements to see that he's worked on his footwork this offseason. And w with Ryan Puglisi, I, I think for him, 
he knows he's also got that arm and can make throws off platform and he he's just not afraid to to gun it and so he'll make some ill-advised throws because he's confident in his arm and sometimes you know uh you can get a little too you know unconfident i mean overconfident there you can have some unforced errors so it's decision making with ryan you know uh can you know you can make all the throws but you know sometimes you got to make the smart throw and so especially you know Coming from Connecticut to the SEC, uh, you're going to be stepping up a little bit in competition there. Those windows are going to be even tighter. You got to make smart decisions with the football. And, and as we said with Kirby Smart, he also places a high value on that. You know, he loves mobility. He loves, you know, he's he wants the ability to evade the pass rush, but he does not want turnovers at the quarterback position and, or, or just bad decisions that put you, you know, behind the sticks. So I, I think that's going to be in a, what what you want to see from Ryan is good decision making, and with, with with Dylan, you know, some improvement on the footwork. But I, I think as far as uh, throws and wild throws, no shortage of those from these two guys. Before we wrap this episode up, gotta bring back the Georgia men's basketball minute. Uh, some news on the scheduling side earlier this week. We knew that Georgia was going to be going to the Bahamas for a tournament, still working to get that uh, travel approved to go cover that one. But they will be opening that tournament against Miami, playing a Final Four team. Uh, that will be uh, not Georgia's season opener, but it will be early on uh, in the going for non-conference. Really like that scheduling. You know, I thought Georgia was a little lackluster as far as its non-conference opponents in Mike White's first season which honestly made a lot of sense. It kind of got Georgia a little bit of momentum going into conference play. They're looking to take a step forward this year, got a whole new revamped roster, and all of a sudden you're seeing them play some pretty tough teams. Playing Miami, they could play either Providence or Kansas State if they were able to beat Miami, uh, and they would, uh, you know, they will go on and play one of those teams no matter what. In that Bahamas tournament, they're playing Oregon in Las Vegas to open the season. Really like to see, uh, you know, how they're going about scheduling this, uh, uh, you know, putting the schedule together as they get ready for Mike Watt's sec- second season in Athens. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap this episode up. Appreciate everyone who tuned in, everyone who checked everything out. Be sure, if you are not already a Dogs247 VIP subscriber, take advantage of our 60% off deal. It runs until Thursday night at midnight. I cannot recommend it enough. I tweeted this out yesterday. We had a ton of VIP content on the site. Kip, Ben, and I have been cranking it out uh, these last couple weeks, and I know that that is not going to change. So can't highly, can't recommend it highly enough. Um, great, great stuff from everybody on the team. And, and heck, I, I, like Kip was saying earlier, trying to get caught up reading all this stuff because uh, uh, we learn as much reading each other as we do going out and talking to people. So uh can't recommend that highly enough be sure to go jump on that but we will wrap this episode right there uh for kip adams and benjamin wolk i am jordan hill and until next time take care everybody it's the nfl offseason but on pick six part of the cbs sports podcast network the football season never stops 
Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. 